Good morning, church. I want to talk to you about, from our Thanks series, uh, Think About Baptism. We have looked at this series. It's encouraged you to think about what is truth, to think about your destination, your eternal destination, to think about temptation. And today I want us to talk about, think about your baptism. Maybe you've noticed along with me that there's quite a bit of confusion and sometimes contradiction when you think about baptism. And that's just up and down the road here at Trolley, right? Think of all the different churches that are here on our street here in Somerville and all the different confusion and contradictory ideas that you have about baptism. Uh, so often we get a phone call or I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, well, what, what does your church practice? What are your church practices? And regarding baptism, for example, do you even practice baptism? You know, just by asking that question shows you that there's a lot of confusion, a lot of different ideas out there about that subject, isn't there? So as we think about truth and temptation and your eternal destination all throughout the series, what we've encouraged you to do is have a standard. You know, what is going to be your standard? So when we think about baptism, we also think about what is that standard we want to use? And all of us would say immediately, well, we want to use the truth, don't we? We all want to have everything uh, we do based upon truth. In Timothy, Paul is instructing um, his new minister, Timothy. He's a mentor to Timothy. And he tells Timothy, as a minister of the truth, if you want to be approved by God, that you have to apply the word of truth in the right way. That you have to learn how to apply that word of truth in the right way. In other words, if you want to be approved and pleasing to God, and be involved in things that are right to him, you got to learn how to use the Word of God. That has to be your standard that you use. And contradiction about this, I think, very essential and important truth. Well, some church practices are based upon tradition. They're not based upon Scripture. And it's very hard for us, whoever we are, to move away from a tradition. It, particularly if it's a tradition that our family holds, that's been valued for a long time. If it's something that we've heard for a long time, that's just the way it's always been done, right? Or that's the way we've always done things here, or that's the practice that's here. And if it's been practiced for a long, long, long time, very long time, maybe over centuries, then it's very difficult to get to the truth because your first line of thought is tradition. Whether you say that or not, this is what you're used to. Do you see what I'm saying? So when church practices are based upon tradition and not based upon standards, that's where you get contradictory ideas and oftentimes confusing ideas because we have different backgrounds. We come from different traditions as well. And it's very important to know. That's why Jesus said in Mark 7, he said, you make the word of God invalid for the sake of traditions which you hold, and this is typical of much of what you do. Now, the Word of God is not invalid because you hold it to a tradition. Word of God is always truth, right? But in your life, it becomes invalidated because you have put your tradition as more important than what the Word of God says. Now, you don't say that, but basically your default button is, well, this is what I've always heard, this is what I practice, this is what uh, my family's practiced, so that must be the truth. You, you see what I'm saying there? 
And so tradition then becomes valued to you more than finding out what the truth is. And this is what Jesus was telling the Pharisees. For a couple of hundred years, the Pharisees had developed these traditions. And the intentions were good. They were very good to keep the Jewish people pure. But over a period of time, those traditions began to supersede what the actual law said. And Jesus said so much of those Pharisees that you have been blinded so much by your traditions and you've been teaching the people that the Messiah is coming and the Messiah is standing right before you and you can't even see him. That's pretty scary, isn't it? And this is what Jesus meant here, that there is this possibility that I can be so blinded by traditions and the opinions of others that I might miss the truth. That's why the teaching on this is oftentimes confusing and contradiction. And so when we think about baptism, like anything else, you must apply the standard of the Word of God. And that becomes a decision for you, where you accept it over the traditions or the opinions over a family member or friends or what your favorite preacher says, right? That you, you, you hear those things. You accept it over the teachings of anyone that is contrary to Scripture. Now, there's so many Scriptures about this that I cannot possibly get into all of them today. And I would just have to kind of run through them so fast that just your head would explode. It'd be a mess. So I don't want to do that, all right? <laughs> so we're going to limit this to just a few and it, it's the hope to spur you on, like we have about truth and temptation, your destination. Pretty good, a serious thought, applying the standard about what it means to be baptized. I will state this to you again. My purpose is not to judge you. I'm the last person in the world to judge you. My desire is to teach you. In fact, as Paul told Timothy, it's my responsibility to apply the truth in the right way. And I will have to give an account to God about how I apply that truth as well. But I don't want you to take my word as a standard. Anything I'm using today, look at the scriptures, look at them, think about them, study them, and see what God's word says about faith and obedience. So the first question I want to ask today, is baptism really necessary? Is baptism really necessary? I'm asking, well, do you really have to be baptized? I thought it was faith alone that saves you. I thought that if you could speak in tongues, that that was a sign of salvation. I thought that if I prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus to come into my heart, that that's all that was necessary for salvation. So the question is, is baptism necessary? So I want to know what Jesus says about baptism. Did Jesus think that baptism was necessary? So this man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3 comes to Jesus at night. He's a Pharisee, and he has lots of questions. And Jesus answers Nicodemus by saying, Believe me when I say that everyone must be what? Born from water and the Spirit. Anyone who's not born from water and the Spirit cannot enter into God's kingdom. So did Jesus believe that baptism was necessary? See, absolutely. Born of the water and spirit in order to do what? In order to enter into God's kingdom. In Matthew 29, when Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission, remember that? He's about to ascend into heaven. And so he gives these final instructions to his apostles. 
says, here's what I want you to do. Now, notice in these final instructions what he says. I want you to go and make followers of all people throughout the world. It's not just for the Jews. It's for all people throughout the world. It's for everyone, right? What are you supposed to do? Baptize them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I have told you to do. Final instructions. I want you to go worldwide. I want you to baptize worldwide. And when they're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want you to teach them to obey. Teach them to be faithful followers of who I am. So very important. Is baptism necessary to Jesus? If that's not convinced you, let me go to Mark 16, verse 16. Notice the link, all right? Whoever believes and is baptized will be what? Say, I believe. I pray to God. I have faith in God. Excellent. What does Jesus link belief to? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Necessary link. It's not only belief, though. It's also repentance, isn't it? You know, a little child, two or three years old, has more faith than some adults I know. Right? But they're not ready for baptism because there's nothing to repent of. And they don't even know what the word repent means. And so throughout the Bible, it says, repent and be baptized. We want our children, two, three, four, five, and on, to learn and have a great belief in Jesus Christ, right? And at some point in their life, they'll recognize what it means to repent. And that means to turn your life around. You're going in one way, you turn and go in the other way. In my life, I'm going in the route of sin. I now believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God, I now turn around and I walk with Christ. That's my desire to do from now on. In Acts 2.38, when the people believed that they had crucified Jesus, Peter, they said, what shall we do? They believe, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So there's belief, repentance, and baptism is linked to the what of your sins? To the forgiveness of your sins. And when they heard that invitation, look in Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message, this is the very first day of Pentecost, the very first time the church is coming into establishment, right? Uh, those who believed his message were what? Baptized, and some 3,000 souls were added that day to the church. They heard the invitation. It was the first message, and they knew from the apostles' teaching that Jesus had taught them that baptism is absolutely necessary. Well, what if I had a vision or a miracle or God spoke to me directly and told me the future of my life. Do I still need to be baptized? Interesting, isn't it? So a vision or spiritual encounter, something of a spiritual event that's very significant. Do I still need to be baptized? There's this man named Saul in the Bible in Acts 22. He's telling his conversion story. And when you first meet Saul, he's a persecutor. He does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, he's doing everything he can to destroy what he calls the way, right? The movement. So he's telling his story in Acts 22. He says, I'm on the road to Damascus and he's going there to persecute the church, put people in prison and to uh, put some to death. 
He says, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. Would you call that a significant event? <laughs> I mean, this is a spiritual event, an encounter that I don't think any of us, at least very few of us, have ever had that encounter from heaven. He fell to the ground, and then he hears what? So he hears the voice of God speaking to him, right? Directly speaking to him. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So here's Saul who has a dramatic spiritual encounter with the Lord, a bright light that flashes and he hears the voice and he then says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth who you're persecuting, he replied. He said, now my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of who was speaking to me. So he's letting know the companions are there, they see the light, but they're not understanding what this voice is saying to Paul. It's a very personal, direct, spiritual encounter, isn't it? By Jesus. I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Did you think that got Saul's attention? <laughs> going one way, all of a sudden he realized I've been going the wrong way. So what shall I do, he asked. What shall I do? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, the very place where he was going to persecute the Christians. He now tells Paul uh, to go there because he's about to give Paul a commission. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had done what? Blinded. So he has had the flash of light. He's heard the voice from heaven. He's been blinded by the light, hasn't he? He's had a direct conversation with the ascended Lord in heaven. Not a few words, but a very specific and been given a commission that he's going to be told what to do. The assignment that he has when he gets to Damascus. There, Paul says in Damascus, I met a man by the name of Ananias, came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that moment, I was able to see. So, light from heaven, voice from heaven, conversation with Jesus, blinded, miracle. He can now what? I mean, he's had five major <laughs> spiritual events, hasn't he? Right here alone. All those things into one. Now, I want you to think about that because what Ananias says next is very important. He said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. God's chosen you. Number six, you are chosen by God. Here's your assignment. You will be a witness to all the people of what you've seen and heard, what you've seen and heard. So now you're going to go preach, right? You're going to be God's instrument, his messenger uh, to the world. What does Ananias say next after all those? Did Paul have, he'd had this vision, heard the voice, had a miracle, been given the assignment. Ananias now says the following, what are you waiting for? Get up, be what? baptized, wash your sins away, calling on, the, calling on his name. So is baptism necessary? Absolutely. It's absolutely necessary. Paul did it. Others did it. Washing away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. So when you think about baptism, Jesus said it was necessary. The book of Acts throughout, it's obviously it's necessary. In the letters of Peter and Paul in the New Testament, it talks about it being necessary. Second question is, well, what type of baptism? I mean, there's all different types of baptism, right? You have sprinkling and you have pouring and you have immersion, don't you? I call it dunking, right? 
Make sure you understand what that means to get under the water, to be dunked, all right, immersed. And there's different types today. Some people are immersed or baptized or sprinkled in water. Some people baptize in flowers, in roses. They've done that over the history. I know, it's weird, isn't it, some places. And there's some places, literally, I've read this a few times, where people have been baptized in Diet Coke. So I don't think Diet Pepsi you can do. It has to be Diet Coke. <laughs> Should be Coke Zero, right? Because your <laughs> sins are gone. But, but I, I, I'm serious. There's several occasions that I could refer you to where... But when you start thinking about this, well, it's, in our world, it's not just water. It can be other things, right? And I mean, there's different, it's so confusing. I've sprinkled, poured, dunked, immersed, um, all these controversies. Now, in the early church, when the New Testament is written, there is no controversy. It's in water, and it's always being dunked, always being immersed. All those different types of baptism we have today came centuries later, centuries later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, that became the practices and the traditions of the church. And some say, well, so what? What does that really matter? I mean, a person has faith in Jesus, and I mean, maybe we shouldn't have laughed about the Diet Coke thing or being baptized in flowers or different ways. I mean, they're sincere about it. The so what factor. Well, I want you to think about truth. Does truth really matter, or are you going to settle for truthiness, as we've talked about before? It feels good. It sounds right, and it, everybody's okay. You know, it's, it feels good. It, it's, it seems truth to me, although it may not be the truth. You're, you're sta- it, it's not up to me to make that. I can't change it, can I, and be right in changing it, you know? So there, there are types, and some say, well, if it's good enough for millions of followers of the Christ over the centuries, why, why, who am I to judge that? Who am I to change all that? Well, I'm just here to tell you, if you think about truth, you can find the truth in this subject if you will decide to find this truth. And don't make excuses about it. You can go to God's Word. It's very clear, very clear. It's not ambiguous about this. Many, many references. You can go on your own. Baptism in the New Testament. Just, you'll see it. Lots of scriptures about it. But this type of baptism in the New Testament was, was immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 5, Paul says this great oneness. There is one Lord, there is one faith, and there is what? One baptism. What was that baptism Paul practiced that Paul was baptized into and he taught? Immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, John, in John 3, the forerunner to Jesus, had this nickname. He's called John the Baptist or the Baptizer. And it's interesting because John the Baptizer baptized people, calling upon the name of the Lord for the Messiah to come. He baptized them for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, when Jesus was baptized, as our example, he went to John the Baptizer and was baptized. What type of baptism did Jesus participate in? The one that John was practicing. What kind of baptism did John practice? Immersion in water. In John 23, he was baptizing in a certain region people because there was what there? See, plenty of water, not Diet Coke or flowers or, right? 
and not just a little bit of water to sprinkle or pour upon, but plenty of water because the people were coming there to be baptized. I think about this official from Ethiopia who'd been in Jerusalem. He'd heard the gospel. He's on his way back home, and God miraculously sends an angel to Philip to send Philip to this man in his chariot in Acts chapter 8. And it says that the, the official was reading out of the book of Isaiah about this prophecy about Jesus the Christ. And he didn't understand what he was reading. And Philip started there and taught the man the good news of the gospel. Remember that story? And at a certain point as they're traveling down the road, it says they came to some water. And the official said, look, see here is water. What's stopping me from being baptized? See that? Plenty of water here. Let's get baptized. So the official story continues. He ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the official did what? They went down into the water, down in the river, right? Down into the water, and Philip baptized him, and when they came up out of the water. It's very clear, very clear that this official on the way home was immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ, and he, was, he went on his way rejoicing. Now, I think a beautiful picture of this is found in Romans chapter 6, 3 through 4. This picture of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ immersed in water in the name of Christ um, baptism. Look at this. Notice this. Did you forget that all of us became part of Christ Jesus when we were baptized? See, it's necessary. Is our baptism, in our baptism, we shared what? In his death. So we died to our old life. So when we're baptized, we were buried with Christ. What happens when you're dunked under the water? See, you're being buried with Christ, all right? And you took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, uh, by the wonderful power of the Father. So we too could be living new life. What happens when we come up out of the water? We're raised, aren't we, to walk in newness of life. So when you think about baptism, it's necessary for salvation. When you think about baptism, the type is immersion in water. And then you think about baptism, well, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? And uh, often ask a prayer, well, when were you baptized? I don't know, I have to go ask my parents. I've had that Sometimes some people, I'm not sure when I was baptized. I was baptized before I remember. I was baptized as an infant. I was baptized as a little child. Or other people say, well, I've been baptized three or four times because I've joined three or four other churches. And so a lot of times you're baptized because you want to become a member of a particular church. Well, who should be baptized? Well, today there's baptizing infants and for church membership and some even baptized for the dead, don't they? Baptized for somebody else. So let's just review for a moment what we learned. It takes belief, right? It takes repentance, which means that it's personal. It means that you have to have the mental capability and also the age with it, right, to understand what you're doing and to uh, understand what you're going through. And so today people get around this by saying, well, you know, the book of Acts is not a book of patterns, it merely describes what the early church did. Hear the difference? The book of Acts only describes what the early church did. It's not a pattern for us to follow today. Do you hear the difference? And so by that, if I say Acts is a description and not a pattern, then I'm free to say, well, every church and every generation can choose how it wants to be faithful to God and choose its methods and its practices and what it wants to emphasize in anything right? And that's how people get around this. Well, Acts is a description. It's not a pattern. 
It was good for them, but we live in a different time. Hear that? So let me debunk that real quick. All right. In Acts chapter 2, 38 through 39, let's go back to this again. This is the same verse part we looked at earlier when they said, what shall we do? That's back in the early church describing what they did. But notice the pattern that Peter establishes. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now notice, this promise is for for you, your children, and for all who are what? You're far off. You're 2,000 years removed. This is a pattern that's permanent, not temporary. This is not a description of what the early church did. This is a necessary pattern for us to follow until his return. Peter makes that very clear. And so 3,000 were added that day and more. Uh, so who, who does this? In Galatians, I love this, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. It's just a few verses, right? It's enough. Notice. So in Christ Jesus, you're all the children of God through faith. So who's a child of God? Someone who has come through faith in Christ Jesus. So what do you do with that faith? For all who were, see it? All who were what? Baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew, so it's for the Jew, nor Gentile, that's for all non-Jews, neither slave, so it's for slaves, or free, those that are free, nor is it there for male, so all that are men, and for what? All that are women. Faith in Christ Jesus leads you to be immersed, dunked in his name, right? Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. Who is to be baptized? Anyone that can have that faith and repentance in Christ Jesus, any background. So think about baptism. What now? What do you do after you're baptized? What happens then? Is that all I have to do to be baptized? Is baptism the end game? Some will say that. Well, I was baptized when I was 13 years old. Right. And then I lived the way I want to the rest of my life, right? I was baptized. The only thing I need to do to get to heaven, baptism's the end game. We treat baptism like it's the end of everything, right? It's my insurance policy. I have a house insurance, I have term insurance. I have health insurance, and I got fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to get baptized. See, that's my coverage protection. So I'm going to file it away with the rest of my insurance papers, right? Hey, I was baptized when I was 11. I was baptized when I was I'm good. Hear that? As if baptism's the end game. Uh, baptism in the Word of God is not the end game. It's the beginning. You are born into the family of God you are a baby in the family of God. You're an infant in Christ. And what do you do now? See, Colossians 1 says, look, you continue to believe in the good news you've heard. You must remain strong and sure in your faith. You must not let anything cause you to give up the hope that became yours when you heard the good news. What do you do now? Continue in the faith. Grow strong in the faith. 
just as you're born into the, this little precious baby into your family, right? That precious little baby, we want the baby to grow and develop and have the character and all the things that God wants that baby to have, right? You're born again through baptism. You become a member of God's family, and God desires for you to grow and be strengthened in faith. But when you're baptized, you are born again, and you are part of God's family forever. But you can be a rebellious child. You can be a lost child. Or you can be a growing and faithful child. You can be a child that works against the family values and the family desires. Or you can be a child that works for and with the family to develop the kingdom of God that God desires. You see, baptism is not the end game. It's not an insurance policy, fire protection. It's a covenant. It's a loyalty pledge to surrender your life to Christ. One more verse. Here it is. 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Why was the ark being built? Because judgment was coming upon the world, right? So this was the way in which God was going to save this family from that judgment. In it, that's the ark, only a few people, eight total, were saved through water. This water symbolizes what? Baptism that now what? See, it saves you also. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Man, I love what you said earlier about working in the coal and just outwardly just being head to toe dirt and washing that off, the external part, and how you connected that so beautifully to our spiritual inside when we're in the waters, cleansed of all that filth and how it gets into every part of us. That was a beautiful way to put that. And that's exactly what Peter is talking about here, that, look, it's a loyalty. I, that's why Jesus says, count the cost before you do this. Because what you're saying is, from now on, to the best of my ability, and mostly by God's grace, I pledge to live a life of a clear conscience before you, God. I know what Jesus has done for me. I believe in him. I confess his name. I call on his name. I'm repenting here. I'm turning my life around. I want to live a life in a clear conscience before you on a daily basis. That's the what now. What now is that you've made a vow before God to be loyal and faithful to him. He washed your sins away in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. He gives you the grace to strengthen your faith and cause spiritual growth. He equips you for good works in his name. He wants you to be obedient. Think about baptism. Amen? Let's stand. Let's stand together. Well, I hope this lesson has helped you think about baptism. We certainly covered a lot of verses. I hope that you can use these verses to help you teach and lead others to think about baptism. And particularly if you've not been baptized this morning, wherever you are in your faith walk with the Lord, I want you to think really about baptism and how necessary it is, how important it is, how Jesus has commanded you to do this. Think about it. Give you some scriptures for it. You can go back and look at them later on the podcast. But you can also get this book that's out in the lawyer. Uh, in the lawyer. I hope that wasn't a Freudian slipper. <laughs> out in the foyer, okay, at the welcome stations. And it's 
Preparing for Baptism. It gives you, it's a great, wonderful book about that. Uh, pick it up for yourself or somebody else you'd like to see baptized. Give it to them as well. All right, let's do that. As we start this new week together, I pray that this lesson has encouraged you to continue in your faith, to grow strong in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This week, whatever you do in word or in action, do it all in the name of the Lord. Pledge before God here today that you want to live this life this week with a clear conscience before the Lord. Thank God for the salvation he's given us through Jesus Christ. Thank God that through baptism he washes us and cleanses us of our sins. Thank you for his grace. Thank you that we can confess before him our sins. Thankful that we can always go to him in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to be baptized, place membership or have one of our elders, Dale, pray with you. You can make your way to the front or meet him after service today. But do that right now as we sing. David.